Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. I want to uh, start this morning, we're going to introduce a two-week series, um, and that series is entitled, This Is Us. So um, this week, I'm I'm sharing about myself. One of the things I've taken a bit for granted is that you all know the details of my life. Now, I spent a lot of time here, but I shared a lot of those stories with my young people and not with, with you all. And as much as we have history together, there are some things that I think it's important that you know about us. We've talked about the kind of church we want to be building. We've spent weeks on Build This House. And and I want you now to know a little bit about us. So the next two weeks, I'm sharing this week. Amy is sharing next week. All God's people said. I'm excited to hear my wife speak. She's incredible. Should have gotten better from the ladies there, but we'll just leave that alone because you know how good she is. But I want to share a little bit about my story. Some of you know bits and pieces of it. Some of you will hear some of the stories that I have told uh, previously. But I want to lay out for you sort of a starting point of where I come from, where I've been. Why do I find myself at this place? We're going to throw in a few scriptures that have been meaningful to me along the way. But this is us This is our freshman year of college. This is the year that Amy and I met. I had hair. Woo! Is how I I duped her. I drew her in. I mean, look at that. That hair is impressive. Mostly because I don't have any now, but let's not talk about the why. We're just going to go from there. So I was born in Auckland, New Zealand. New Zealand is a country located off the east coast of Australia, and this is me. So I was born in Auckland, New Zealand on March 8, 1973, which sounded really young to me until you start scrolling on things and you're like, oh man, I got to keep going forever. I am, uh, was born in Auckland in 1973. My parents and I moved to the United States when I was five. We moved to a small town in Wisconsin. Hartford, Wisconsin is where we first moved. We fairly quickly moved into the city of Milwaukee, and the city of Milwaukee is really where I grew up. I am one of six children. This picture is a picture of my siblings, and this is our birth order. For whatever reason, when we take pictures as the siblings, we have to do it in birth order. So my brother John, who uh, has been down uh, for our consecration services when he came down, he is three years older than me, and then myself, and then I have four sisters, Catherine, Francis, Molly, and Rebecca. Molly has been here. Um, The two sisters in the middle live in New Zealand still. They married, uh, my parents moved back to New Zealand uh, the year that Amy and I got married, and so they they, they messed our family all up, uh, for which my mother is forever and eternally regretful. Um, But it's Jesus' fault, so she doesn't really have a choice in the matter. So they live in New Zealand with their husbands. The two sisters on the end live in California. 
Um, they are both involved in ministry. The last sister, her and her husband pastor a church in California, and then my brother still lives in Milwaukee. And so uh, we grew up in Milwaukee. There were six of us eventually. There were only three of us when we moved to the United States, and then we added three more um, as, we, as we went along. We have an incredible home. We loved our home. Our home was loud, mostly because I was in it. I am, and this will shock you, I am the loudest one in my family. My mother is very quiet, and this was very, well, actually, I won't tell that story. We'll leave that one for Amy if she wants to tell it. First time Amy met my family was fun, because you've noticed Amy and I talk a lot. My family doesn't talk much, but I was the cause of most loudness, because either I was talking or one of my sisters were screaming as a result of my ministry to them. There's some stories they'd like to tell, I'm sure, but they're not here right now. Um, the other thing we had in my house is Vegemite. I don't know if you know what Vegemite is, but it's something that Australians and New Zealand people eat. It is magnificent. We had a lady in our church who used to tease us that it was bugs crushed up, and they, they, they wasn't fooling anybody. It, it, it does look pretty nasty, but I love it. My kids all eat it. Amy's the only communist in our house who does not eat it. I've tried to convince her she just refuses over and over again. Although, truthfully, Benjamin's not a huge fan. He can eat it, but he's not a big fan. Ian, my rock, he's my Vegemite guy with me. Praise the Lord. So I began school in Hartford, Wisconsin at Lincoln Elementary, and then I quickly moved to Milwaukee and began attending Heritage Christian school in grade three. So these are two pictures. I think the left one is a little bit younger. I'm pretty certain that was a picture taken just before we left New Zealand. But I love that picture um, because I think it's cool and because I can, I can remember loving that terry cloth shirt. Any of you dressed your children in terry cloth shirts? Those things were fantastic, so comfortable. I'm amazed they've not made a comeback yet. And, and in color, it's even better because there's all sorts of things there. The picture on the right is a picture of my senior year of high school. So school years, like most of us, were really, really formative years. Um, there are two stories I'm going to share, one now and one at the end, um, about my time in school. What you need to know is that school is rough. I'm sitting at my desk in seventh grade trying not to stick out, trying to mind my own business, trying not to be too big of a dork, clearly not succeeding very well. Up to my desk walked two girls. I still remember their names to this day, which is very sad. I won't say them because this is going out on the interweb, and I don't want them to know. They knew who they are. In fact, one of the girls I became friends with later, and I actually asked her about it, and she said she felt horrible. So they walk up to my desk, and one girl turns to the other girl and says, don't you think Chris is the ugliest boy in seventh grade? She turns back to her friend and says, yes, I do. And they literally walked away. And here I am in a, in a puddle of my own ugliest boy in seventh grade-ness. Now, we can laugh at it now. I know all the moms are like, oh. No, it's okay, guys. You can laugh. It was, it, I can laugh at it now. But it was soul-crushing at the time. At the time, I decided in my heart of hearts that I was the ugliest boy in seventh grade, and that is how I defined myself. That was the base that I began walking forward out of. And it was a moment that took maybe 15 seconds, but reverberated in my life until I got to know Jesus for real, and that was how I operated and how I led out of. And so, 
If you have a seventh grade boy in your life or soon to have or may have had, I just want them to be comfortable. They are not the ugliest boy in seventh grade. That title has been taken. It's right here. You can encourage them in that. Hey, at least you're not the ugliest boy in seventh grade, Pastor Chris was. I found out years later uh, when I talked to the other girl that we became friends with, I asked her about, I'm like, do you happen to remember? And she's like, ah, I didn't even get it out. She's like, I'm so sorry. Well, the girl who said it actually liked me was like mad that I didn't like her back. I'm like, hey, baby, would have worked. Uh, hey, I think you're cute, but the ugliest boy in seventh grade is not a good tactic if you want the boy to like you. Not a, good, not a strong power move. So that didn't work out terribly well for me. And uh, me and Jesus had an interesting relationship growing up. I, I got saved when I was in third grade. I can remember the moment I got saved, we were at a small house church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I remember one Sunday morning at our house church just thinking, I don't want to go to hell. That was my base motivation. I think that's a pretty good motivation. I mean, we're all, all those of us who are really spiritual, like, oh, you should get saved because you love Jesus. No, I wanted to avoid hell. That's a pretty good motivation, I feel like. So I got saved. I can remember inviting him in, but I didn't really know him. I didn't really engage with him. I was saved, but I wasn't in relationship with Jesus. That came a little later when I was in high school, and I'll tell you about that at the end of our service because that's really a pivot point in my life. And those of you that know my story know what that is. But those of you that don't, we'll tell you about that in a minute. I don't, I don't say that to be mysterious, but there's a reason that I'm waiting. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Acts chapter 13. See, in, in, in the second story, I felt a call into ministry. Um, Acts chapter 13 Verse 36 has become one of my life verses. I have it up on the screen as well if you're uh, not wanting to turn there. And it's actually, it's just a phrase in the middle of a verse. And it caught my attention and, and it stuck with me. It says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, and it goes on to say he fell asleep and died. And the writer is, is, is writing about how someone is talking and saying, look, they couldn't have been referring to David because he died. But they made this statement about David that he had served the purpose of God in his own generation. And as I got right with the Lord, the Lord began to call me into ministry. My senior year of high school, uh, God called me into ministry. And I was caught by this idea of, God, I, I know I can't do everything, but I, I didn't know how to articulate it until I found this verse. I simply want to fulfill God's purpose for me in my generation. And the reality is God has a purpose for each one of you. None of you are wasted space. That purpose may not be to preach uh, on Sunday mornings. That purpose may not be to lead the church. That purpose may not be to go to Africa. That purpose may not be whatever. But, but that doesn't negate the fact that God has purpose for you. And if each of us would begin to press into the Lord and say, God, I want to serve your purpose for me in this generation, then I'm not threatened by those who come before me. I'm not threatened by those that come after me. I'm not threatened by those around me. I love that there's another pastor in our service this morning because I'm not called to fulfill his purpose for his generations. I'm called to fulfill my purpose in this generation. I want all of us to think in those terms, God, what is your purpose for me in my generation? God called me into ministry and what has driven me from the time I was 17, almost 18, to this day is that, God, I just want to fulfill your purpose for my life. He called me initially into youth ministry I knew that's what the Lord had called me and spoken. Uh, I had a youth pastor who was hugely influential in my life. 
And, and, and I wanted to duplicate that. I wanted to be hugely influential in the life of some other young person. I have a heart for, obviously, for people who don't know Jesus, but I also have a heart for people who go to church but don't really know Jesus, that, that, that spend their lives attending church, but they don't really know Him. I want us to know Him. You, you hear my language when I talk. He's a person that we get to know. He's an individual that we get to commune with. He's somebody that walks next to us. His Spirit is in us. And I want us to walk in step with Him. So I went off to North Central Bible College. This is a, an interesting story. Um, I, <laughs> my senior year of high school, um, when I was getting right with Jesus and sensing the Lord beginning to stir, we did a college days trip. So college days trip is when the youth pastor piles a bunch of kids into a van and you go to a Bible college usually to see. Well, North Central was about five hours away. It's located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So from Milwaukee to Minneapolis, it's not that far. So we piled in. Well, I went because I got a day off school. I went because a girl I liked was going and I thought, five hours in a van? That's fantastic. She would have nothing to do with me, but I thought she was cute, so we were going fishing. So I get up there. I think the Bible College is incredible, lots of really cool people, it's fantastic, had a great time. Hey, they were, if you filled out an application, you would get a free t-shirt. Free t-shirt, for sure. So I fill out my free t-shirts, and uh, I fill out the application, I get my free t-shirt, and I'm thinking, no way, I was on track to go to the Coast Guard Academy. I had made all of those applications, I wanted to fly something, and the Coast Guard Academy would let me do it for free and then pay me to do it, and then I would serve and get to go cool places, and I, I wanted to fly anything, helicopters or airplanes, it didn't matter. I wanted to fly. Well, from the time that I filled out my application until about middle of April, Jesus and me had some moments. And Jesus called me into ministry and said, no, this is not what I have for you. This is what I have for you. And so I get my acceptance letter and I feel the Lord calling me and away, away we've gone up, not looked back since then. So I backed my way into Bible college. I backed my way into, into to going to the school I was supposed to go to. This will become a theme here. So this is me at, at Bible College. The picture on the left is like our second date, third date, fourth date. I don't know. They all blur together. That really cute chick agreed to hang out with me. That's all I knew. That's what I knew. So Amy and I started, we, we were friends our freshman year, but we started dating our sophomore year. And um, there's a, a whole lot there that I'm not going to talk about. But the bottom line is she said yes eventually. But you need to know about how we first went out. So at North Central, they would allow open dorms once a month where guys could go in girls' dorms and girls could go in guys' dorms. So they would do it for four hours, three hours, three hours. You'll come to learn something. When I tell stories, um, <clears throat> I often need help. Wednesday night, she normally takes the mic, but I've got it strapped to my head, so she can't take it now. So there's an hour, there's a few hour time frame. It was the very first Sunday that we were back at college, and it was an open dorm Sunday because they did it on I, whatever the schedule was, second Sunday, third Sunday, whatever it was. So I went and saw Amy and hung out with Amy, and then I went and saw some friends, and she asked me casually on the way back, oh, are you going to stop back by? And I was like, heck yes, I'm going to stop back by. So I come back by, and we're hanging out, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm still a little bit the ugliest boy in seventh grade. And, and she's, well, she's her, so she's gorgeous. So I'm, you know, I'm walking on thin ice, and so we're chatting. And so they didn't serve dinner on Sunday evenings. 
And so she casually is like, well, what are you, what are you doing for dinner? And without really thinking about it, I was like, I don't know, what are you doing? I, I asked her out on our first date, but didn't really realize I was asking her out because if I had realized I was asking her out, I probably never could have worked up the courage to actually ask her out. So thankfully, she seizes the moment and says, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like fun. Um, do you want to do that? Like with a group of people or just us? Now my brain has caught up with me. And I'm like, oh, no, just us for sure. So I backed my way into our first date. Thank you, Jesus, for helping poor guys out. There's a lot of pressure there. So we go out, had an incredible time. I think we talked until I don't know what time in the morning and then just started going. And the rest is history. She is my absolute gift. I tease her all the time that I'm God's best for her. But she really is God's best for me. And so we got married. And that is, oh, no, no, go back to the wedding. Don't, don't, don't get too quick. We want to look at that. I was young and I had hair. Come on, Ken. So that's our wedding day. I think Amy looks remarkably similar. I don't even know who that dude is she's standing next to. I don't know what happened, but it was a wicked joke that Jesus played on her. But that was our wedding day. That was one of the greatest days of my life. You know, there's something about pledging yourself to someone and then getting to chase them for the rest of your life. It's fantastic. So that was our wedding day. Amy probably has other things she'll say about that next week. We, we got married a week after I graduated Bible college. My parents were preparing to move back to New Zealand. That's what they told us, so we planned the wedding. So I graduated Bible college one Saturday and got married the next Saturday. I think if we had to do it again, we probably wouldn't squeeze it in that fast. But at the time, that's what we thought we had to do, so we did it. It was a great week, let's be honest. Done with college and married. It was fantastic. So we left there and, and went into to Cleveland, Ohio. Amy's family was from uh, Cleveland area. And we went back because Amy needed to finish up school, and I really wanted her to do that. And my parents were moving to New Zealand, so there's no sense in, you know, we're going to be thousands of miles from them, so why don't we move back to Ohio? We started at her home church, and six months in, her pastor asked me if I wanted to come on staff. So I was like, absolutely. So we, we started there as youth pastors from 1995 until 2000 is when we were Youth pastoring, and in February-ish of 2000, the Lord begins to stir me and says, hey, you're going to move. And so we begin to move. Now you can show the next picture, Ken. Um, I get a phone call from some guy named Pastor John Dodd in Bedford, Indiana. No idea where that is. We have a really good conversation. Next thing leads to next thing. I'm driving down 37, passing Ulatik to Bedford. This is what we looked like when we moved here. We had one child and one very quickly on the way, and we were young. And we, uh, yeah, we were loving life. And so we spent from 2000 to 2007 here youth pastoring, and there are so many things I want to share. I'm running out of time already. I got, I think one of my strongest memories, we talked about it last week, where's Holly? We mentioned it last week. I took the young people on a missions trip to El Salvador, except they wouldn't let me in the country. So I spent the night on the floor of the El Salvadorian airport and got shipped home the next day. And Amy and the rest of the team and the young people stayed and did a missions trip without me. It was really exciting and really fun. So we had sent our children to Maine. My flight came back to Bedford 
So I literally spent the week by myself here with my kids in Maine and Amy in El Salvador. Me and Jesus had some conversations about that. But it was cool. There's, there's, I was looking through some pictures. I'm like, I don't have time. I don't have time to talk about what God did in us and through us here. But we loved Bedford and have always loved Bedford for reasons that don't really make sense to me. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't mean to, to harsh on Bedford, but there's nothing here that would draw anyone here. I understand the Limestone Museum is cool, but only to the people who live in Bedford. But we have, it is, it's become the home of our hearts. And every time we would come back, it was always different here. And now I understand why. I didn't always understand then. Um, so then in 2007, God really messed with the, the situation. And he sent us to Africa. Most of you know by now that Amy and I spent from 07 to, to earlier this year serving as missionaries in South Africa. Um, I want you to see a picture of my kids when we left. I took these children to Africa. There were days I wondered, what on earth are we doing, Jesus? But you know, walking in obedience to Him is all about fulfilling His purpose for you in your generation, and His purpose was for us to live in Africa. So this is what they look like. This is from the top of Table Mountain, which is a city uh, in Cape Town, which is a city at the southwest tip of Africa. It's one of the most incredible places that I've ever been on the planet. It's stunning. This is on top of Table Mountain. Our first trip, this was in April of the year that we went down. The next picture that you'll see is a picture we took last December. Ricky, the mustache is for you. I think this is the last family picture we took. Africa helped me raise my children, and I'm forever grateful for our experiences. There are so many things that I don't even have time to talk about, and they'll leak out as we go along. But the reality is Africa changed us. Africa shifted us. When we first showed up, you guys can go to the next picture. When we first showed up, we showed up at a Bible college, a pastor's training school that was in disarray. I didn't realize how dysfunctional it was or I probably wouldn't have gone. So we show up and it's, it's a mess. It's an incredible mess. And we spent the first four years, I, I, I say, stopping a sinking ship. Well, this is our first graduating class there's three guys between Amy and the guy at the end and three guys at the back. There were six students, um, and I could tell stories about every single one of them. But the reality is, is we began this journey of absolute chaos. It was a complete and total mess in every single way. And God kept doing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. After miracle, I would literally say to Amy, babe, if something doesn't happen, we're going to have to shut this down, and I don't know what we're doing. And God would come through over and over and over and over. But what we found most of all was men and women who felt a call of God on their lives to fulfill their purpose in their generation. And so we raised up so many more men and women in our time in South Africa. We got to be a part of so many graduations of men and women that we got the privilege of investing ourselves in. See, the story of South Africa is that same story. It's that story of fulfilling God's purpose. 
in, in, I think I've said before my favorite verse in Scripture is Galatians 6, 9, and it began when, when I was before this, but it cemented it here. Let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I'm convinced we fail to reap because we give up. There's patience that's required in His kingdom. And so our story is a story of refusing to quit, of, a, of the Lord giving us dogged determination to keep going. We walk through crazy circumstances. I can't even begin to tell you all the stories of South Africa. They'll leak out as we go. But the reality is, as long as we refused to quit, we continued to reap a harvest. And I would encourage you, as long as you refuse to quit, if we will not grow weary of doing what is right, that's what that word means, it's the root word is the same word we get righteous from. If we will do what is right in the sight of the Lord in due season, we will reap a harvest. As individuals, we have to do that. As a church, we have to do that. We just got to not quit. And then in February of 22, the Lord began to whisper to us, about coming back, and we've talked about that story. I said to you there are two stories I wanted to share from my childhood, from my school years, and I've waited for the second one because it is the pivot point upon which my life turned. So I was a junior in, in high school, and um, some friends and I went away to a friend's cabin in northern Wisconsin, and uh, we were hanging out. It was New Year's. We were going to be there over New Year's. And on, uh, on, on December 31st, we decided to go to a field. We were going to do some clay shooting um, and then just see what was up. He had a big chunk of land up there, and we thought we'd go run around. I'd been up there a couple times before, so I knew where it was, so we go up there. And we're hanging out. We were shooting clay and my buddy. Um, there was two, two good friends of mine who were with me and, and some of their family members. It was just me from my family. And my friend who owned the property, whose family owned the property, said, hey, let's go see if there's anything to shoot in the woods. So we all grabbed 22s, 22 rifles, just to go see what was there. And I had about that much experience with a gun. And so we go for a little bit of a walk into the woods. And on the way out of the woods, if you've been or ever been in snow and woodline, you know there's snow drifts that form because that... So we're walking out, my friend Kyle's in front of me, my friend Jay is behind me, and I had not put the safety on my gun. And I don't know exactly how it went off, but it went off. And it hit him in the back of his head. It went in right behind his earlobe. I'm told it's about the only place that would have penetrated the skull. It's a 22. it's not a very strong rifle, but it went in. And he dropped instantly. And in that moment, I, I didn't know what to do. I ran over to him. He was face down in the snow, and I flipped him over. And I said, Kyle, Kyle. And I watched his lips turn blue. And I, we started yelling for the rest of the family to come. And his sister, Kyle's sister, was there. And they came running. Well, I was the only other person who'd been up there. And she said, you have to go get an ambulance. His uncle lived down around the road. And so I left Kyle on the tree line. I ran across the field. I jumped into a car with a friend who could drive. 
We drove around. I knocked on the door, and I said, Kyle's been shot. I don't know where. You need to, to send an ambulance. We drove back to the road that was probably 300 yards, 200 yards from where he had fallen. And I couldn't bring myself to go back. And so I sat on the road. And I knew in that moment I was making a choice. See, I'd grown up in church. I'd gone to Christian school. I, I had all the God you could get. And I knew in that moment I was going to make a choice that would shape the rest of my life. Either I was going to hate him or I was going to throw myself at him. And I said, God, you've told me my entire life. When I really need you, you'll be there for me. I couldn't think of a dumber thing to do. So I said in that moment, Jesus, I need you. And the moment I said it, he came in. The moment I surrendered my life to him, because I knew I was giving him everything. The moment I gave him everything, he came in. And I, there were horrible moments facing his sister, horrible. Facing his mother, horrible. Facing my parents, horrible. Going to court, horrible. But I never did it by myself. See, from that moment on, I had known about Jesus and I was saved. But see, I didn't know him. And in that moment, December 31st, sitting on a, 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 a snow-covered road in northern Wisconsin, I met him. And that changed everything for me. You can clap. I'll never forget, I, the, the, the state charged me. Um, the state took me to court. Um, they assumed I had been playing around with a gun. They assumed that I had been, because of the, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but because of the way the bullet traveled across his skull, they assumed I had done something and been stupid and that I should pay the price. And so my parents got, my parents got a lawyer and we did whatever. I went to court three times. The first two were in the morning. The first one was where I met the youth pastor who shifted my life. In, in, in conjunction with the Lord, I met a youth pastor who, who I had met one time, came walking into a courtroom, floored me, and I said, Jesus, when I grow up, I want to be like him. I've met him once. Anyway, we still talk to this day. The third time was in the late afternoon, and I was sitting in a courtroom that I'd sat in several times looking at a judge knowing that he was deciding what would happen with my life. Knowing this man had, had power over me. And there was the sun was setting and it was, the light was streaming through and I remember the Holy Spirit said to me, Chris, just like the sun is setting on this day, it's setting on this you won't carry it anymore. So sunsets are hugely meaningful to me. This is a picture of a sunset in one of our absolute favorite places in South Africa. The sun set on that moment of my life, but what came out of that moment has shaped the rest of my life. And I don't know where you are with Jesus this morning, but we all need to have snowy road moments. We all need to have those moments where we meet Jesus. 
Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe this is your first time in church. I don't know. But I cannot tell my story. I cannot talk about my life and not tell you how incredible, incredible, incredible God is. You talk about needing to find life. You talk about needing to find love. You need to talk about needing hope. You need to talk about being restored. In that moment, I need all of those things. I needed a protector. I needed a deliverer. I was dumb. And Jesus came in, and he was all of those things to me. It is my privilege to give him my life because as a 16-year-old boy on a snowy road in northern Wisconsin, I met him, and he didn't crush me. He didn't kill me. He didn't beat me. He didn't berate me. He said, I love you, and I'm going to walk this out with you. And if you'll let me, you'll do things that you can never imagine. I would never have imagined I would have stood in Kaswani Game Reserve in Rustenburg, South Africa when I gave him my life on that snowy road, but it was the most incredible thing. I would never have imagined I would be standing in Bedford, Indiana, getting the privilege of being your pastor. But all it takes is a moment. So my question to you this morning as we begin to close is where are you with Jesus? Maybe you need your own snowy road moment. I would encourage you, we're not guaranteed anything. What we have is today. What we have is right now. And as much as we like to make it a thing, the reality is it's all about just saying to Jesus, all right, Lord, I'm going to give you my everything. And trusting him to do with it what's best. I love the life that I have lived. I love that I get to be here. There is there's nothing that gives me the right to be here, but it's his grace. I found that grace for the very first time on that road. When will you find that grace? This morning, I want to give opportunity for you to do that. I don't want to embarrass anyone. I don't want to call anybody out. But I do want to provide an opportunity for you to have your own snowy road moment with Jesus. So if you would, would you bow your heads with me this morning? I ask you to do that simply so that we can have privacy in a room full of people. I ask you to do that so you won't be distracted by what's going on around you. Have you met him? I'm, I'm not talking about being saved because I was saved for a lot of years, but I don't know that I really met him. Have you met him? In a moment, I'm going to invite you all to stand. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the Lord to meet each one of you where you are. We are made up as, of three things as people. We are made up of intellect, emotion, and will. I believe I have 
touched your intellect. I believe I have stirred your emotions. But I can't do a thing with your will. That's you. When I say amen, the praise team is going to pray. And if you're here this morning and you've never had a snowy road moment with Jesus, I want to invite you to do so. I'm going to challenge you to get out of your seat, to come down to this front. There's nothing spiritual about the front. What's spiritual about it is you saying, God, I want that moment with you. And not only do I want it in my mind, do I want it in my emotions, but I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get up. I'm going to come down to the front, and I'm going to kneel, and I'm going to invite you in. I didn't have a fancy prayer on that road. I simply said, Jesus, I need you, and I give you my everything. That's it. And out of it grew. So if you're here this morning, I know we can get right with Jesus any place, but I would dare you this morning. If that's you, your heart is pounding in your chest right now. You know you need to get right with Jesus. If that's you, when I say amen, I want to invite you to come down, step out as an act of your will, and walk towards the front as if you're walking towards Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, Lord, I met you. I knew a lot about you. I know a lot about you, but I can still see the place where I met you for the first time. And Lord, life wasn't perfect after that, but you were present, and that changed everything. There's a verse in Philippians chapter 4. It says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. And in that moment, the Lord guarded my heart and my mind. See, if we don't give him everything, he's got nothing to work with. Father, I pray right now, you know where each heart and each life is. Holy Spirit, I give you freedom to move in this place this morning. Father, there are some here this morning who need to meet you. Lord, I pray that you would give them the tenacity to get out of their seats and come meet you. Father, we love you. As the praise team begins to sing, if you're here this morning and I've been speaking to you, I want to invite you to get out of your seat. I want to invite you to come down and meet Jesus here this morning. We're going to wait just for a moment as a church praise team. Please go ahead. Lord, we worship you, Jesus. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. Jesus. 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 
I would encourage you here this morning. If you have need of anything, you're welcome to come. But if you're not right with Jesus, don't leave this place without being right with him. I'm going to wait just for a little bit. I'm going to stand on what is your right, my left. And if you know you need Jesus, I want you to come down. Let me pray with you. Let me pray for you. Not to embarrass you. But we're not guaranteed anything. And, and I can't say this strongly enough. There is nothing better than knowing Jesus. Doesn't mean everything's perfect. I had hard days, still have hard days. But there's nothing better than knowing that you have someone walking with you and next to you. That's what changed everything for me. So I'm going to pray. Praise team's going to worship for a bit. If you need to go, you're free to go. But if not, find a place. Find a place to spend some time in his presence. Find a place to be with him for a moment. And if you know you're not right with Jesus and you know you need to, I'm going to go stand just over there and I'm going to wait for a minute. Father, we thank you for your presence. Father, we thank you that you are our cornerstone, that in you the weak are made strong. Father, I pray for those that are doing business with you. Father, will you finish what needs to be finished in this place this morning? Lord, if there's one this morning that's holding back, Lord, even as we dismiss, help them not to walk out the back. Help them walk towards the front. Father, for whatever need is represented by those that will come, Father, will you meet us here? And then, Lord, as we all eventually go, help us to walk and step with you. In Jesus' name.